Ethel's Travel Tales, accounts from an addicted travel photographer. Single Stories, A Whirlwind Journey Around Australia, Part 2. At the time, I was very much part of Thomas Cook's publishing stable and had already photographed a few of their travel guides. The editors asked me if I would do the images for their book on Australia, somewhere incidentally to where I had never been, but really wanted to travel. Part 2, South Australia, Victoria, Canberra, and New South Wales. Day 10, Adelaide, March 6th, 1999. Next, I was heading to South Australia, although actually on the driving route from Alice Springs to my next destination. Time and money prevented me, so instead I took the two-hour flight to Adelaide, capital of South Australia. I don't remember much, except that it was a nice town with a university and the excellent art gallery of South Australia with its Aboriginal art. Here I wandered around, finding the atmosphere of the city completely different from the isolated feel of Perth. I spent my time seeing interiors, including arcades and markets. In fact, I bought my Aussie hat, a version of the traditional leather head covering that conveniently folded up into a small bag. It ended up seeing me through several years of further adventures. I did visit the museum, which had indigenous art on a very large scale, some of it very beautiful. I was quite impressed. Other than that, I can't recall much beyond pleasant gardens, a good feeling typical of university towns, and a generally nice time. Day 11, Flinders Ranges, March 7th. Today, I collected the car, which would be my home for the next three weeks. The first destination was to the Flinders Ranges in the South Australian interior. The drive reminded me a bit of going into the American Plain States, even with the same kind of windmills, the kind you see on the ranches in old movies. My overnight accommodation was at the Prairie Hotel in Parachilna, a hotel with a history of over 100 years. My room was partially buried in the ground as looking out the window, half of it was blocked by the surrounding earth. The tradition of serving gourmet feral food was one of the hotel's specialties and my dinner included emu pancetta and kangaroo steak. The day, however, was for touring and I remember cruising around the mountainous landscape, particularly Wilpina Pound, a dip in the area that seemed to be the end of the sealed road. Overall, though, I don't recall being particularly impressed with the area, especially having come from Uluru and the Red Center. Day 12, Barossa Valley, March 8th. I took off from Parachilna, heading due south for about five hours to reach the legendary Barossa Valley and its wine. Although I'm not the greatest fan, I always enjoy the periphery of the industry, the environment, the vineyards, the wineries, and the general good time feel, not just due to lack of sobriety. Although I'm sure I saw quite a few wine houses, the one that stands out in my head is Seppelsfield. I was given a grand tour, partly no doubt, 
due to the fact I was representing Thomas Cook. At the time I visited, the grapes were about to be harvested and looked lush on the vine. What amazed me, though, was the general commercial feel. Barossa was, wine production seemed to be far more of an industry than many of the wine regions I had seen. I returned to Adelaide for the night, it being a relatively short drive back from this direction. Day 13, Adelaide, March 9th. Today was for further exploration in the area around Adelaide, and I headed to the Fleurier Peninsula, only about an hour's drive south. The highlight was Victor Harbour, a charming seaside town. I particularly remember the horse-drawn tram, an extremely picturesque mode of transport with its heavy horse and old-fashioned trams. The rest of the day was spent skirting the coast of the peninsula, seeing the sea and the beaches and the small town of Port Elliot. Then back to base again. Day 14th, 12 Apostles, March 10th. I spent the next day driving along the coast, leaving South Australia for the next state of Victoria. There are lots of attractive beaches. The water around Robe was especially pretty, clear and blue. I paused at Mount Gambier and the Coran Natural Range. I was constantly stopping to take pictures as I had a lovely day. However, at the back of my mind was the advice I had received from all and sundry that the Twelve Apostles, a series of worn down rocks sticking up in the sea along the cliffs near Princetown and one of the tourist icons for the state of Victoria, were best seen at sunset. Driving along the shore took ages, and despite the temptation of the views, I knew I had to be in Melbourne, still quite a long drive away, in two nights. Suddenly, time was short. I began to race in the hope I would catch those last few minutes of light. Despite the fact there wasn't much traffic, the journey seemed so slow. I was committed to the route I had chosen, and all I could do was speed up. I had arranged no accommodation for the night, but at the moment, that was of secondary consideration. If I didn't arrive at just the right time, I might miss my chance to great shots. Off I raced. The sun was dropping and I moved even faster. Finally, I reached Princetown and dashed straight to the cliff edge. I did it! I managed to cast the last glint of light as the sun went down. I snapped and snapped till it finally became too dark to see the figures rising out of the sea. I felt proud of myself. Now I had to work out where to spend the night. I went to every motel in town, but there was no room. I hadn't really come across this situation before as virtually all my accommodation had been prearranged with the tourist offices before I left England. I didn't really fancy driving on as I had a very long day and the road was pitch black. Sleeping in the car was a last ditch effort and I still felt I still had a few options. I found a campsite that was open and asked if they had any cabins. As it turned out, they had a few sheds, barely larger than the single bed they contained, but a place for an overnight sojourn nonetheless. The proprietors invited me into their house where they found some clean sheets for me. I believe the charge was something like five Australian dollars, even with the nice bedding, so I gratefully took up the offer. Day 15, to Melbourne via the Great Ocean Road, March 11th. 
I actually slept well, and the next morning, returning the sheets, I headed back to the Twelve Apostles. It was a beautiful morning, and I got some lovely shots, possibly better than the night before. Would today's pictures be better than last night's, and therefore not worth the rush to have gotten there before the sun disappeared? Well, at least I now would have a choice with both sunset and sunset views. On to Melbourne, still at least a four-hour drive, if I went directly. However, I was on the Great Ocean Road and had all day, so in contrast to yesterday, I was in no rush. En route, I stopped and snapped the Bay of Islands, Loch Aird Gorge, Torquay, and the Geelong. I got my fill of beaches at the very south of the continent. Even in autumn, the weather was nice, although I wouldn't have called it swimming temperature, as we were so far south. Still, the journey was lovely, and I spent the whole day making my way, finally reaching the cosmopolitan city of Melbourne. I arrived at the prearranged hotel in the city. The tourist office put me up in my very own nice loft apartment, which reminded me very much of being in the center of New York. In fact, the complex was called Manhattan. I was very much looking forward to my urban lifestyle, in complete contrast to the shed in which I had spent the night before. Day 16, Melbourne, March 12th. Now, in the most urban of Australian cities, I had a chance to tour around. I went to the CBD, an Australian expression for central business district that the Aussies use all the time. I was very impressed with Flinders Street Station, a lovely Victorian construction that reminded me a bit of Harrods Department Store in London, even though it was a railway station. My accommodation in the center was in walking distance of lots of the items on my photo list, so I replaced the car with my walking shoes. I was quite taken with Southgate, an arts and entertainment complex south of the Yarra River that was reminiscent of London's South Bank Entertainment Complex as well. It wasn't that surprising that I made comparisons with my own resident city, as Melbourne was large, thriving, metropolitan, and truly urban. I seem to recall taking a harbor cruise that gave me a great view from Waterside. I also visited the Royal Botanic Gardens, a floral and fauna respite within the city. On to the War Memorial, a specific request from Thomas Cook, so I also added that. As impressive as it was, I apparently regarded it as yet another monument, so I snapped it without seeing if it was anything other than a large neoclassical building reminiscent of others in loads of other places. My stay in the big metropolis was very enjoyable, especially after the wilds of the outback and the seemingly endless coastline. It was good to be back in a city environment. Day 17, Ballarat, March 13th. As a day out from the state capital, I headed northwest rather than my almost relentless drive east and today went to Ballarat. The goal here was to depict Australia's gold industry, and to that end, I visited Sovereign Hill, the mining museum and major tourist attraction. I found the place interesting, particularly watching gold being smelted and then poured into a bullion mold. It was fascinating to see how the bar from the previous demonstration was melted and then poured. Probably along with the other tourists, I wondered how much was lost in each remelting, and it being gold, how much it cost if perhaps we could pick up a little drop somewhere along the way. 
Apparently, according to the smelter, though, it was none, as each tiny speck was retrieved and used again. There were guides in period costumes explaining some of the other aspects of the industry and the period. Overall, I liked the place, and it was a good day out. It must have been a drive of over 200 kilometers, but by Oz standards, that's not much in a day. Day 18, Canberra via Albury, the Snowy Mountains, and Mount Kosciuszko, March 14th. Leaving my lovely urban refuge, I was edging my way towards the country's capital, Canberra, via some natural wonders. I stopped at Etamoga Pub, a location immortalized in a local cartoon strip, and drove up into the snowy mountains. Mount Kosciuszko is Australia's mountain and a skiing location. It was a surprise to find high mountains and winter sports facilities in a country that one imagines is tropical. At over 2,000 meters and in late autumn, I could already feel the cold, although there was no snow yet. It was a long day's drive, but I finally made it to Canberra in the weird little state of ACT, Australia Capital Territory. Probably like the District of Columbia in the USA, it seems to be an administrative region created solely for the country's capital. It could be, like in the states, it's given special federal status to separate it from individual state issues. But it was late, and also after such a tiring day, I retreated to my night's accommodation. I needed to save my strength for the next day in order to best depict the capital city. Day 19, Canberra to New South Wales, March 15th. To me, beside the sense of it being the seat of national government, the outstanding features of Canberra were the sparkling white Parliament House and the very posh area of ambassadors' houses. Everything seemed a bit sanitized, similar to other capital cities like Washington, D.C. and Brasilia in Brazil. There's something very stagey about these metropolises, as if they're showplaces and examples for the rest of the world. I did my required photos and drove on. Day 20, New South Wales, March 16th. Due east was New South Wales, and off I went. Strangely enough, suddenly the air became moist, as if I had crossed a barrier between desert and jungle. From now on, the humidity became noticeable as compared to the dryness I had been experiencing ever since Perth. Memories of a subsequent trip to New South Wales in 2000, perhaps a future podcast, tend to overshadow the experiences of this first excursion, but a few specific incidences do remain. It seems on my way to Sydney, I passed Jarvis Bay with its beautiful white beaches and decided to spend the night there. I continued via Oladala to Kayama and Fitzroy's Falls and Berrima in the Southern Highlands, finally making my way into Sydney. As I was photographing a book, especially on the city for Thomas Cook, I covered the ground thoroughly. I stayed with the daughter of an old family friend in Bondi, close to the famous Bondi Beach. I had a list of things to do for the book, and the weather was glorious. With the good light, I hit the ground running, doing several days' work in one. March 17th. I was covering all of Australia, so didn't have much time to linger, but as one of the projects was just of Sydney, I did have to do a decent job. 
It was also St. Patrick's Day and the place was buzzing. There seems to be a similarity between the crack in Ireland and the Aussie's humour, and the fun and enthusiastic drinking spilled out into the streets. I can recall warm days, bright colours and a lot of activity, a welcome difference from the cold March days I would have been experiencing in England on that same day. I connected with the tourist office and discussed the idea of my walking the Sydney Harder Bridge, but I was told I wouldn't be allowed to take photographs and that the experience would take up most of the day. I found I could climb up one of the towers and got great views, not only of the harbour, opera house, etc., but also of the climbers themselves. It seemed a better option with the limited hours I had had. The rest of the time I ran through the CBD, snapping away. With a few more shots of the bay in the opera house, Sydney's crown jewel, I made my way to Darling Harbour. I remember the tropical botanic gardens and a general sunniness. I recognized similarities with my hometown of Los Angeles, noting that Melbourne reminded me more of New York. Day 22, Sydney Beaches, March 18th. Today I went exploring the beaches around Sydney, including Bondi and Bronte to the south and Manly to the north. I noticed the surf lifesavers, but instead of the legendary hunks wearing nothing but speedos and colorful little bathing caps, these guys were bundled up in shirts and shorts with a baseball cap on top of their bathing one. Oh well, I thought. Maybe they dressed skimpily only for the cameras. I was disappointed. Continuing onto a peninsula to the east of the city, I discovered Watson's Bay, a beautiful little suburb with great views of Sydney. For a while, I indulged in the fantasy of moving to Oz, living in Watson's Bay, and commuting into the CBD via boat. It seemed idyllic. Nearby was the Gap, a cliff overlooking the ocean with a lighthouse. It was interesting to see one on the east, having already photographed the ones in Western Australia on the other side of the country. Day 23, more New South Wales, March 19th. Continuing, I drove into the Blue Mountains. Although famous for its mist swirling around the Three Sisters formation, I was there on a clear, beautiful day. The three girls smiled as I snapped them to the tune of a local Aborigine playing on the didgeridoo, photographable for a fee. I was amazed at how accessible the place was and its proximity to the big city. Heading north, just past Newcastle and then east, I visited the Hunter Valley, another area famous for its wine and vineyards. I really liked it. It seemed more rural and pastoral than the industrial aspects of Barossa in South Australia. Somehow, Hunter reminded me more of Napa, a region in Southern California that I'm very fond of. I didn't have quite the welcome I received in Margaret River on Western Australia, but the vintners were hospitable anyway, showing me around. I'm not much of a drinker, as I've said, but I do enjoy the vineyards and that atmosphere. I managed to make it back to the coast at the Port Stephens area later that day. The afternoon on the beach was lovely, with the long, flat stretches of sand, watching the surfers and enjoying paddling in the water. I didn't shirk my photographic duties, but for me, the important thing was to take a delightful break from all that driving. Day 24, New South Wales, March 20th. Back in the hotel, way earlier than I could tell, 
I was in a deep sleep. Suddenly I woke, looked out the window, and saw the most glorious sunrise. Still in my pajamas and not really sure what I was doing, I grabbed my camera, took some photos through the blinds, put the camera down, and went back to sleep. It wasn't until I returned to the UK two and a half weeks later that I discovered I had indeed shot the most beautiful dawn. I thought I had dreamed it. The next destination was the Mile Lakes National Park, a beautiful water-based area. I had to take a small but picturesque ferry across the lake. I didn't have much time there, but I did manage to shoot some lovely sunsets. I was more awake at this point and knew I had captured them. Day 25, Port Macquarie, March 21st. While here, I dropped in to see the koala hospital at Port Macquarie. A friendly ranger played with the koalas, surprisingly awake at the time. We were encouraged to hold them, and I was amazed at how rough the fur was, more like a spiky hair than a soft covering. We were given the talk, told about their habits, feeding and otherwise. Apparently, the main food source, eucalyptus leaves, is a bit of a narcotic, explaining why the animals sleep so much. It's a good idea to come before feeding time, it was emphasized, to see them lively before they drop off into a drugged state. Days 26 and 27, New South Wales, March 22nd and 23rd. My journey was to continue more or less up the coast to Queensland and more Northern Territory. En route, however, still in New South Wales, I stopped at Coffs Harbour, Ballina, Byron, and Lismore. Lots of beaches, some alternative culture, and a tropical humid feel to it all. The surfing culture emerged again, and I was able to see the sport from the East Coast waves. Once again, it reminded me a bit of my Southern California childhood. Part three of A Whirlwind Journey Around Australia will continue in a future broadcast. Mm -hmm.